Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy that is new every morning for us. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now, and we pray that you would open your word to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are in our sermon series, We the Church, right now. This is our second week. And as we heard last week, and as you can tell from our title, the church is not a place. It is a people. It is us. We are learning about us over these three weeks and what it means for God to make us his church. And last week, we heard about how we are Jesus' body on the earth. We, the body of believers, are his physical presence now that he has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He uses us to be his witnesses to seek and save the lost. Paul last week was very clear on this in his first letter to the Corinthians that being the body, we all have different gifts. We all have different uh, purposes in the body. We're not all hands, you know, we're not all feet, we're not all eyes, we're not all ears. He made us different because he wants to use us differently to function as a whole. So our picture of the body that Paul gave us last week is not one of sameness, but it is one of difference. All of us, the different parts of the body doing our different things and working together as one for that one common purpose of seeking and saving the lost, of making disciples. It's, far, it's a far more exciting picture than what we mostly come up with often. You know, we usually go towards sameness, where we try to uh, make everybody look like us. We try to uh, make us all assimilate to something. And our picture is not very creative, but with God, we see the church is full of variety and full of diversity, And it makes us actually beautiful, and it makes us function properly as a body. So we're going to build on that this week. We're going to delve deeper into our purpose, our calling, really. That call to seek and save the lost, that call to make disciples, that purpose that we have. Calling and purpose are really interchangeable. When we talk about calling, we're talking about what someone was meant to do, right? Uh, What you're intended for, what you were made for. The dictionary defines calling as a strong urge toward a particular way of life or career, a vocation. At times, it's almost inexplicable, but you just know what you want to do, right? You have that drive, that strong urge. Uh, If somebody were to ask you, you would probably even put it into stronger terms than, you know, desires or wants. You might even say, I just have to do it. You know, if somebody's saying, why do you want to do that? I don't know, I just have to. There's something in there that's inexplicable, but you feel this drive to do it. Another way we talk about this uh, calling or purpose is passion. We use the word passion. You have a passion for something. And this is more than just saying, I have a passion for ice cream, you know, or I have a passion for unicorns, which some people do. They collect little (laughs) miniature things. Anyhow, that's not the kind of passion I'm talking about. Uh, Passion literally means to suffer, to suffer. A calling is something that we are willing to suffer for. 
because it matters that much to us. It is actually core to us in some way. It goes to our very being. Well, one of the interesting things we will see today is that our calling as the church, that there is movement with our calling. There's movement when we're talking about calling. It moves from the general to the specific. When we talk about calling, when we see it in Scripture, it moves from the general to the specific, which reminds me of a song by a band of horses. Band of Horses is a South Carolina band. I don't know if you knew that. But they are from the low country, and they sing a song called The General Specific. And uh, it's about wanting to move back home to South Carolina from Seattle. And it doesn't really have anything to do with our sermon except for the, the title, General Specific. But you could say that they had a call, you know, the, call, the, the low country was calling to them, you know, to come home. So there you go, boom, calling. <laughs> but calling moves from general, the general to the specific. So say I'm passionate about music, which I am. You've figured this out by now. I am passionate about music, and uh, I have a strong urge to be a musician. Then, so that's the general, then once I get into music and I start to play and learn an instrument, I realize that I love folk rock. So that's what I focus on. I get more specific. In Rob's case, it's gangster rap. You know what I mean? That's That's what Rob is always about. Uh, Or let's say, you know, you always wanted to be a doctor. You wanted to practice medicine. And so then when you you actually got into it, you started studying medicine, you realized that you loved pediatrics. You wanted to help kids. The calling moves from the general to the specific. That's the way it works, and it gets more focused. And we see this in our gospel passage today. We see Jesus doing this, moving from the general to the specific with his disciples. He starts out saying, who do people say that I am? And then he moves to the specific, but who do you say that I am? Now you might think that Jesus' questions don't really have to do with calling at first glance. It doesn't sound like a call. He's asking you your opinion of him, what you think about him. But when we talk about being the church, we see that his questions are all about calling. After all, there's only one way to become a part of the true church. We hear it. It's the most famous passage probably in all the Bible. You see it at football games all the time. John 3.16, right? Jesus famously said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what you think about Jesus has everything to do with your call to be the church. Who do you say that I am? Now, it's vital to remember that this is not something that you come to on your own. Okay, When Jesus asks these questions, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You didn't come to know Jesus by yourself. He was revealed to you. Just think about your life. Think about how it happened. When or how did you first hear about Jesus? Was it through a family member? Was it through a friend, a pastor, a teacher, a mentor? For me, it was my mom. When I was four years old, my mom told me about Jesus for the first time. Probably before that, but that's the only time I remember. (laughs) I can't remember before four. Uh, Or think about the first time you were exposed to the Bible, right? Someone either read it to you or gave you a Bible to read 
or you, somebody took you to church, probably, to hear the Bible read by somebody else for the first time. It's the same for all of us. None of us come to know Jesus on our own. Someone always introduces him to us first. And that was true with the disciples, too. They didn't just get up one day saying, I'm going to go find Jesus. I'm going to go find the guy, you know, who I think is the Messiah. That's not what happened. When we read the Gospels, we see that it was John the Baptist who first told a couple of them, you know, he had the, he'd given the prophecy to proclaim that there's this, the Lamb of God. And so they said, oh, and they started following him. They were told. And then they went off and told their friends and their brothers. And so more gathered. The other way it happened was that Jesus himself came and said, hey, follow me. So these are the ways. The disciples don't come to this on their own. They were called. Somebody else comes. It comes from the outside, the call. So when Jesus asks this question of his disciples, it is after they had been with him for a while. It's after they had seen him teach and do ministry. It wasn't in a vacuum. And he begins with the general as we said. He begins with other people. Who do other people say that I am? And this is where we like to operate, usually. You know, we like to stay in the general. It's a comfortable place for us to think about what other people think and what other people are doing. It's a lot easier. You know, I've got tons of opinions on other people. <laughs> it's, it's a lot harder when it starts to be focused on me. We like the general. We like to deal with God in general terms. You know, we like the abstract. Uh, we even do this with church, okay? So, we're, you know, when you're a good churchgoer, we're all good churchgoers here, and we line ourselves up with a group and their ideas of God, right? You know, maybe you keep it on the denominational level. So I'm a good Baptist. You know, I grew up Baptist. Even though I'm here at Ion, you know, I'm a good Baptist. Or I'm a good Roman Catholic. Or maybe you're even a good Anglican. What a, what a miracle that would be. But um, that's, a, that's a bad joke for Anglicans, sorry. But, um, you know, or maybe you get a little more specific from the den denominational lines and you get particular to a local church. So you identify with Holy Cross. You know, I hold to what Holy Cross says about God, which you should. <laughs> anyway, uh, but we like to keep God on some level in the general. We like to talk about him as an idea. And when I say that, I mean, this is an example. God is love. It's a verse in the Bible. It is true. It's a very popular one today. God is love. But it's an abstraction if you just leave it there. It's a general statement about God. It might give you a general feeling of comfort, that this idea that God is love. After all, that is what Holy Cross says about him, so praise God. But... Uh, it's a thought. It doesn't really have a bearing on your life. That all changes when you start talking about how God actually loves you. How does God actually love you? Things get a little bit more personal then, right? Things get a little more uncomfortable, a little more real. Because he doesn't actually let you keep him in the abstract as an idea. He moves into the specific Jesus comes in the flesh. We heard that in Hebrews today. Jesus comes in the flesh. He gets personal. It's his favorite, you know, Olivia Newton-John song is Let's Get Physical. All right? Trey loves that one. I had to give him that one. 
Let's get physical, physical. It's Jesus' favorite Olivia Newton-John song. And um, he, he takes on flesh, and he lives in real time, and he dies a real death. And then he rises again, for real, in the flesh. And he does this for you. It's not an abstraction anymore. This is very specific. Remember, he came to seek and save the lost. You and I are the lost. He came for us. Not somebody else out there, but for us. He died for our sins. He died for our failures. He died died for our unbelief. He died for the pain that we have caused. He gave up everything for you so that you would be forgiven of your sins, your actual sins, the ones that you can think of right now at the drop of a hat. We don't have any hard time doing that. We all keep a long list on ourselves. And Jesus died for those so that you would be forgiven, so that you would be given new life and be set free. That's how he loves. That's why God is love. General to the specific. He's not an idea. He is a person. And he always, always makes it personal. Who do you say that I am? And we hear Peter respond, right? Peter answers and gives his great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember, this is the only way you become a part of the church, by believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the call gets specific. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter recognizes him correctly. And Jesus' response to Peter confirms what we've already said, that uh, our belief comes from outside first. It's a gift to us. We don't just drum it up within ourselves. It's a gift. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God is the one who does the calling. God is the one who calls. He's the one who orchestrates our lives so that we come to hear about him, so that we might come to know him and believe in him. He put me in my family with a mother that believed in him and wanted to share him with me. I didn't choose that. He chose that for me. He's the one who calls. He's the one who has a plan. And so when we find ourselves like Peter then, having heard about him, having been told, and we find ourselves recognizing him and saying, I believe you are the Son of God, Jesus doesn't leave us there. He continues to get more specific. He continues to take us from the general to even more specific. Jesus tells Peter that this confession that he makes is going to be the foundation for his whole church. This new thing he's building, this statement of belief, is something that we all share in to be counted as his. And at the same time, Jesus gets even more specific and he tells Peter that he is going to be the first leader, his first chosen leader of his church. General call to specific call. And he goes in even more detail. Jesus tells Peter, and he tells his disciples, and he tells all of us in this moment that how we're going to walk in this call. He tells us how we're going to actually operate 
in this purpose that he's given us to seek and save the lost, this shared passion that we have. He gives us our tools to use in this passage. Remember the musician earlier, right? Uh, The musician needs an instrument, right? Even if it's just their voice, you need to have a voice. The musician needs a guitar or a violin or drums or whatever it is to actually walk in their passion, to walk in their calling. It's the same thing with the doctor. The doctor needs uh, a stethoscope, you know, or an otoscope, which I learned is one of those things you look in your ear with, you know, an otoscope. I'll never forget that. And uh, they need those things to walk in their call to help keep us healthy or keep children healthy. You know, and that's what Jesus does here. He gives us tools to be the church. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus uses us, we have said, to seek and save the lost. And these keys he has given us are for us to use. And they are in his word. It is his word. His word does the binding and the loosing. That's what our tool is. It's to proclaim his word to people. We use first his law, the holy and righteous commandments of God, the demands of God, to bind up sin. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. But the law is the thing that shows us what sin is. It stops, you know, the the delusions that we have when we run around and say, no, 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 you're just fine the way you are. Which trade, you're close. But, you know, you're just fine the way that you are. That idea that, like, there's no problems in your life. That's what the world wants to say. That's what we're all trying to convince ourselves of. But the law comes and exposes that that's not true. And we all know it. We're all living with the reality that we're not what we think we should be. And the law comes, Paul says, to show sin to be sin. And through the commandment, it might become sinful beyond measure. That's the first key. It binds up sin. It actually explores and exposes what is destroying people's lives and what's holding them captive. Because every person you meet on the street, no matter how great they look, no matter how much they've got, you know, no matter how successful they are, they all have pain. They all have experienced pain and they all have caused pain. And that first key exposes the sin and binds it up. Then there's the second key, the gospel. The good news from Jesus that we've already heard, that God has sent him, his only son, to find us, to save us, and to forgive us of our sins. And that key is the key that we use to unlock the door of the prison cell that everybody is in. We unlock the door of the prison cell that people are held captive, and it is their sin. We come and say, Jesus Christ has died for you, and he has paid for your sins so that they can no longer hold on to you. You are no longer bound, but you're free in Christ. These are the keys. We set people free by proclaiming God's grace in Jesus Christ for sinners. That is the incredible news that we are forgiven that we are loved, that we are held by him. These are the tools. This is where Jesus gets very specific about how we walk as the church. These are the tools of the kingdom. 
This is our call to preach the word of God in its fullness to the lost and the hurting, to bind up the sin and set free the sinner. And here, even still, we move again to the more specific. And this ties us back into last week. How might God be calling you in your particular gifts to use these keys? Because we're not all gifted to use them the same way. We're not. You know, we might, we, we all have this promise. Jesus makes a promise here to his disciples and to all of us. He says that his word is powerful. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's promising you that his word does what he says it does. That's good news. So we have that confidence when we go out as the church to share this good news with the lost and the hurting. And at the same time, we each have different gifts. We each have different passions. We each have different skill sets that he's given us that will inform or direct how we join in this common call to use the keys to seek and save the lost. Maybe it's through preaching and teaching. You know, maybe you have those gifts. Maybe it's uh, through service. Maybe that's how you share the good news with people. Maybe it's through uh, music. Maybe it's through art. Maybe it's through leading a life group. You might be a really good leader of life groups, a good facilitator of discussion. Not everybody is, right? Sometimes I'm not. I talk too much. So there you go. Maybe it's uh, through prayer. Maybe it's through administration. Maybe it's through prophecy. All these different gifts that God has given his body, has blessed each one of us with, are all ones that we're supposed to encourage each other to use. And we're all going to use them to do these things, to set free, set sinners free, to bind up sin and to set the sinner free. This is God's call to us. How might you walk in your particular gifts to fulfill this call? You can ask the Lord that if you're not sure. That's the great news, is that he always wants you to talk to him, and he will answer. So you can ask him. Ask him to show you more about how he has made you to function. Ask him to show you how he might use you to use these keys of the kingdom to bring freedom to the captives. Ask Jesus to move you from the general to the specific in your particular call, because he will. He always does. He always answers that prayer. And you say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? How have you made me so that I can be a blessing to others? I know he will answer that prayer. He always does. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this call that you have on us to be your body, to be your witnesses, to go and seek and save the lost of this world. Lord, we thank you for giving us the tools, your word, that does this awesome work of binding up sin and setting sinners free for new life. Lord, we do come to you and we ask you to show us how you might use us to do that. Show us what our ministry is in the church. Show us what gifts we have that can be a blessing to the body and a blessing to the world around us. We thank you, Lord, that you always are happy to answer those prayers, that you have created us and you have given us the gifts we have for a reason. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we ask that you would continue to seek and save the lost through us. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.